BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends, and welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Pod and this week's roundup of the news of the week. Coming to you this Friday, August 16, at about 8.30 a.m. from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. And a quiet city it is this week with the House, the Senate, and the President all out of town. But it's still been a busy week with lots to look back on and talk about with this week's panel. Pema Levy joins us, a national reporter for Mother Jones. Hi, Pema. Hi, thanks for having me. Great to see you. Uh, Lauren Victoria Burke joining us for the first time, a writer for Black Press USA. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Good, good, thank you. And Joe Sirincioni, president of the Plowshares Fund. Hello, Joe. Hello, Bill. Pleasure to be on you. All right. all right, great <laughs> to see all of you guys. So let's jump right in. Um, after a back and a forth, a flip, flop, flip, it looks like Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib is going to get to go to Israel after all. We're not still not sure whether her partner, her pal, I guess should say, a Congresswoman Ilan Omar will be allowed to go with her. Um, but originally they were invited, then Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, pushed by President Trump, said, no, you're not allowed in because you support this boycott of Israel. And overnight, he reversed himself. Joe, what the hell is going on? Uh, I think it's a sad day, and you've seen it by the kind of broad condemnation of this, uh, not just from, from liberals and supporters of, of free speech, but Marco Rubio condemns it. APAC, the, uh, the American-Israeli uh, lobby group, condemned it. It's, it's a sad day when you have supposed democracies conditioning visits to the, to the country on, on limitations on those persons' freedom to say what they think, to, to, to advocate for what they believe. I'm glad that he reversed it, but they uh, seems to have reversed it, at least for Tlaib, but only after making her grovel, after making her sign a, a letter saying they, she would not promote uh, boycott activities against Israel while she was visiting her 90-year-old grandmother. But the idea, Lauren, that you cannot enter a country based on your on whether you criticize that country, I mean, it seems not only anti-American, but anti-Israel. Yeah, it's also just outrageous and completely unprecedented and literally has never happened before in the history of this country. <laughs> no president, no American president has ever done such a thing ever, right? Yeah. The idea he would call another president of another country, another leader of another country, and block two United States representatives from entering is completely unprecedented. So the reason we have bipartisan, you know, it's amazing how Trump can bring us together inadvertently <laughs> on outrageous decisions, right? We yeah, have bipartisan yeah. agreement that it was outrageous. And, you know, obviously nobody has to agree with what everybody feels in the U.S. Congress. I don't agree with everything that uh, these two congresswomen do, but that was unprecedented and should be called out by everybody. But Pema, Donald Trump said he had nothing to do with this. <laughs> well, he always says things like that after he very publicly has something to do with it. Uh, yeah, I think, 
you know, there was an interesting op-ed that made this point, and I think it was really spot on, which is this is yet another example of the president using his powers, abusing his powers, um, to just sort of get back at someone he doesn't like. Uh, you know, I think, you know, he, you, there's the example of him grounding the military plane that Pelosi was about to take to visit troops in Afghanistan. There's taking away John Brennan's security clearance or attempting to. Uh, there's all these instances, and I think it's particularly poignant when you're talking about two women of color um, who he clearly really dislikes. And the first two Muslim women ever elected to Congress. Yes, exactly. Um, I think that, that it's uh, especially an abuse uh, targeted at, at them for who they are. Abuse of power. That's an impeachable offense, isn't it? <laughs> Abuse of power. Was this, Joe, all about internal Israeli politics, knowing that Netanyahu is up for another tough re-election? Well, this is also Israeli law. I mean, they passed yes. a law yes. saying this. So it's not just Netanyahu. It's what's happened to the supposed vibrant democracy of Israel, that they passed a law saying anybody who advocates boycott or disinvestment. So if you are a student activist and you think your college should not be investing in Israel because of their occupation of, uh, of the West Bank, you can't go to Israel according to this law. And here's Netanyahu advocating it. So the un unfortunately, it goes. I think it goes a little deeper than just the, the, the racist uh, autocratic rule of Benjamin Netanyahu. And uh, Lauren, it does raise echoes of the boycotts of South Africa that <laughs> you know, when I, I was in college. That. Yeah, I didn't even really think about the, that. The divestment, the boycotts. and Exactly the right, exactly right. Is protests on campus. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting to learn that that is the law in Israel, obviously. the 2017, two years ago. Wow, yeah. wow. The internal politics of Israel obviously play a role in this. I'm a little bit more focused on what our president is doing and what our mm -hmm. government is doing which is something that has never happened before. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, the, the idea that we've become used to the outrageousness of Donald Trump is part of the problem with things like this because we get these moments and everybody is sort of like, well, you know, there he goes again. But it absolutely is, you know, for him to do this with, with two members of our Congress and, and call another leader in that way and effectively block them, I'm sure Netanyahu was under a lot of pressure to do what he did, but still, I mean, that it, it's just... Completely ridiculous. You're right. I, I mean, nothing comes close. I, I, Richard Nixon never did, did right, anything like right. this. Uh, Ronald Reagan. I mean, I... Right. A I, man who had an enemies I, list has never done, you know, something like exactly this. That's exactly right. <laughs> right. So, Pema, it wasn't the only flip-flop this week. After saying for months that uh, the tariffs against China only hurt China. China's the only people that are going to pay... Uh, Americans doesn't impact us at all. The president this week said, no, we're not going to have those tariffs on China after all before Christmas because we don't want the price of <laughs> cell phones and computers and cameras to go up. Right, right yeah. I, I think that the president is kind of freaked out. Uh, I think what, what the administration has been saying and what is, I think, visible from the outside is that there are warning signs of a recession, not just here, but in other places. And... Uh, and that this administration has no plan for that, and that they don't have the people in place who could really put together a, a cogent plan for that. Uh, and I think that, so there's this weird mixed messaging where on the one hand, you have the president um, and his advisors going out and saying, don't worry guys, everything is totally fine. Sure, there's a little fluctuation in the stock market, whatever, everything's great. And then on the other hand, clearly doing things that indicate that they are worried about it. Um, you know. <laughs> but but just delaying these tariffs, I don't think is is really a, enough of a plan to actually deal with what 
may be coming down the pike. I guess, Lauren, today is the day that uh, the president is going to apologize for um, getting it wrong and admit. <laughs> I doubt that he's going to apologize that for Admit that he had it wrong. You know, I, I got to give <laughs> Trump a little bit of credit on the China trade issue because I do think the inclination that there's something unfair going on is right. The middle class has suffered mightily at the at the hands of a lot of trade deals, really, I think Clinton's decision was the f thing that touched it off. And with NAFTA. You, exactly, with NAFTA and the, the factories closing down. So there is something there that needs to be fixed. Um, that was part of the Trump's America First agenda, which actually sounds good on its face, but of course the way it's conducted and the devil is in the details is a completely different story. Obviously, when you have the worst day for the stock market of the year, during your administration, you're going to become freaked out. And he should become freaked out. But I do think his, his inclination that something's wrong with trade, something's unfair that's going on, and we see the economics of our country, the massive inequality, one out of every seven people in poverty, there is something that needs to be fixed there. Joe, you and I were Bernie Sanders supporters in 2016, and yes. that, was that was Bernie Sanders' message as well as Donald Trump's message. That's exactly right. But uh, on this point of... Um, what this shows us t today, what, what, is, what does this mean this week? I think this is the week that um, um, m Americans started to realize, wow, a recession really could happen because this grabbed your attention. I mean, here's one little anecdote. I brought my staff to the Nats game on, on Wednesday. God bless we, you. It was it's a staff meeting. Was that the one? Was that the one? Was that the one they won seventeen to five or something? Seven, seventeen to seven. Ten <laughs> runs <laughs> scored in the fifth inning. Great. Now I know but, why they run. But, <laughs> but why they ran. Yeah. So. But instead of talking about on base percentage plus slugging, my staff was explaining inverted yield curves to me, <laughs> and they were talking about their portfolios. These are like twenty something, thirty something <laughs> staffers, and I'm realizing here it is. It is hitting home, and people are talking about getting out of the market, and everybody's checking their 401k, and you and you realize that Trump really could lose this election if we slip into a recession, and he doesn't have a plan for what to do about it. So if there's one sort of silver lining to the bad economic news, it's the political news. It is true, Pema, isn't it, that the economy, we know it's not perfect, but you know the recovery has continued slowly but steadily. If that were to slow down or to tank, that that's Donald Trump's long best shot, right? I mean, or worst shot in that case. It's definitely not good news for him, <laughs> no. Uh, I sort of go back and forth on this because I think it is sort of, you know, taken as an article of faith that the economy can really dictate who wins and who loses uh, presidential elections. And I think that that's right. You know, your fundamental responsibility is to ensure the health of the country. And if we're in a recession, that's you're probably maybe not doing your job. But at the same time, we're so polarized and things are so close. And Trump in particular has ignited so many other issues around uh, race and immigration and distrust and conspiracy. And we have an electoral college where things come down to a few thousand voters and a handful of states. And so I'm not the person that's going to sort of proclaim that a dip mm. in the economy is going to actually uh, sink Trump because I think that there are a lot of other things at play. And if anything, you know, if the economy does start to go um, appreciably downhill, I think you can sort of bet uh, that the you know inverse will go up, that uh, that Trump will even, it's oh. hard to imagine, but even up, you know, some of the divisiveness and some of the rhetoric and some of the stuff that uh, he really believes will turn out his base. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you saw a little, bit, a little bit about it this week, this diversionary tweets that they're putting out in order to distract from the economic news. Right. right. So on the music front, 
Um, one of my favorite pieces of music, sadly, I don't think we're ever going to hear again if the Trump administration uh, has its way. Uh, let's listen. Well, she may be lifting her lamp beside the Golden Shore for a while, but uh, it looks like Ken Cuccinelli wants to tear it down, or at least change the wording on the Statue of Liberty. Can you believe we got to this point, Lauren? Yep, I can, because Ken, Ken Cuccinelli is involved. And uh, even though I was born in the Bronx and grew up in New York, my mother's from Virginia. So I've paid attention to Virginia politics. This is one of the Former stupidest... Former attorney general of <laughs> Yes, and he's one of the dumbest, stupidest people in the country. And, of course, Donald Trump happens to pick him for this position, which is amazing. So the so fact that he says that, said this was completely unsurprising to anyone who knows anything about Virginia politics. But right, and just to make sure everyone understands, <laughs> he said this in the context of introduce, uh, announcing new rules of the Trump administration. Uh, now, we're here talking about legal immigration. We've talked a lot about illegal immigrants. This is legal immigration. That legal immigrants, uh, are, it's not going to be so easy to get a green card if you, as a legal immigrant, happen to need any help uh, at all. Here's Cuccinelli. Give me your tired and your poor who can stand on their own two feet and who will not become a public charge. That's what he wants. So if you need ever need food stamps or any public assistance at all, you don't get your green card. Pema. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, first of all, I don't know. Where, where, do do I, where do I even start? Right. I mean, look, I think that there is this belief um, that is completely contrary to the evidence, um, you know, that immigrants come to this country and then they just take and take and take, right? This sort of like idea of like the takers as we argued about a few elections ago uh and and the idea that you know that you know good americans are like paying their tax dollars i think you know you can subtext read white americans here and then you have you know if it's the welfare queens or the immigrants or these other stereotypes of people that are then just mooching off of that um and i think that you know <laughs> the evidence shows that that's not the case that immigrants work very hard um that they may need a leg up for a little while uh, but then they really work hard. They get on their own two feet. They have um, a community often of of people where they came from who lift each other up. Um, and also there's just an element of cruelty here, right? I mean, when you deny people um, benefits, basically when you're saying, you know, they're going to be too afraid, for example, now to take food stamps, for example, that means kids go to school hungry, right? There's just there's an element of cruelty and a decision to, to deny people and to keep them out. Um, sort of based on this view that is increasingly, you know, coming to define this administration, which is that there are, you know, the, the people we like that provide, and then there are the, the people who are taking from you, uh, and those are largely immigrants. So, so, Joe, what they're saying is, if they don't use the phrase, merit, uh, uh, immigration based on merit, yes. right? So if you already speak English, if you have a college degree, if you're pretty wealthy, you can come here, you got enough money saved up to, to carry you over for a couple of years, yeah, you're welcome. So under these rules, Donald Trump's family wouldn't have been allowed in. And my, my family wouldn't have been allowed in. 
there's no question about it. My grandparents couldn't have come to this country from southern Italy, uh, relatively poor, time of pol political upheaval in, in that part of the world, uh, economic dislocation. They wouldn't have, I wouldn't be here. I was born in the Bronx, uh, too. <laughs> I mean, um, from my parents, I'm, I'm second generation. So my parents were, were, were first generation. This is, and they, this is the greatest generation. These are the people that built this country, that fought in World War II. Many, many, many of them were the sons and daughters of immigrants that wouldn't have been allowed in under Cuccinelli's... Uh, I think, racist immigration policy. Yeah, and you know, Lauren, this aspect of the Trump immigration policy kind of gets mm -hmm. lost because we hear so much about the border, the crisis at the border, right. and the caravans. But at the same time, they are trying to limit severely the number of people who are allowed here legally through right. the process that's been in place. Except for when it's the president's wife or somebody <laughs> who's related to them in some way. And or people from Norway. Exactly, <laughs> exactly right. It obviously... I'm going to go ahead and assume that Ken Cuccinelli is not American Indian, okay? So his, his ancestors <coughs> would probably have been barred by the same rules he's talking about now, <laughs> okay? Yeah. So, I mean, the irony, the, the hypocrisy is so deep and so thick, as usual with uh, members of the Trump, Trump administration, it's sort of laughable, right? It almost goes without saying that this is, this is ridiculous. So, you know, just as you pointed out, the, the greatest generation of people who sort of worked to come here at the turn of the century, that's par probably part of Cuccinelli's family as well. Yes. <laughs> and the, the fact that he totally does not acknowledge any of that in this history is outrageous. <laughs> I mean, I mean I it's think, absolutely outrageous. I, I, I'm, I think I'm, I'm right about this, that he was confronted about this, and he sort of, you know, about, um, uh, you know, ancestors and stuff like that coming, and he sort of said, oh, well, they're European. Which is kind of like it's just it's just like so beautiful, right? It's so horrible and it's so beautiful because it, it really just shows what we're really talking about here, right? Exactly. Well, I'll tell you, a lot of the northern Europeans at the turn of the century didn't consider these southern Europeans Europeans. I mean, there was a whole lot of prejudice against mm -hmm. them when they came. Well, All see, right. every group that has come over yes. here has had that experience, right? So every group that immigrated over here, particularly. Uh, Italian Americans, Irish Americans had to deal with discrimination and racism in some form. But you know, this this administration always lives in this fantasy world of being ahistoric about everything, right? So the president's wife is standing there as a shining example of something that probably was rigged for her to get into the country, right? Yes. And we're just supposed to ignore all of that and listen to this ridiculousness. <laughs> this week's roundtable with Pamela Levy, Josie Rincioni, and Lauren Victoria Burke. We will uh, take a quick break. We'll be right back. And a roundtable this week brought to you by the International Association of Firefighters. There's good men and women of our firefighting departments all across the country. I was out for a little errand this morning and uh, saw our local fire department rushing by on the way to help some American family in need. I gave them a big wave and uh, thought to myself, there they are, supporters of the Bill Press Pod. God bless them. <laughs> <laughs> so remember our firefighters. Thank them for the great work that they do under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger on the front line protecting American families every day. We salute them. Thank them for the support of the podcast. And invite you to check out their website at iaff.org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, 
you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And uh, we continue with the roundtable this week. Well, one thing now, it looks like, uh, again, our panelists, Joe Sirincioni here from the Plowshares Fund. Uh, Joe, how can people find you when they're not listening to the Bill Press pod? They can go to wherever they get pods and search for Press the Button, my new podcast. By the way, I'm very jealous of your soundboard. Wow, look at those lights (laughs) and graphs. I want one of those. (laughs) Or go to plowshares.org, spelled the English way, P-L-O-U-G-H, plowshares.org. Pema Levy here from Mother Jones, your plug? Yeah, motherjones.com, or find me on Twitter at Pema Levy. Okay, and uh, how can we track you there, Lauren? Well, you can find me on Twitter, which is usually where I am, at L.V. Burke, at L.V. Burke. At L.V. Burke, okay. So I was saying uh, one thing now, maybe there's some uh, good news, uh, that because uh, Donald Trump, he says, is considering supporting some gun safety measures in the wake of the mass uh, killings at El Paso and Dayton, Ohio. Mm, Well, that's what we thought until last night, He appeared at a big rally up in New Hampshire singing a slightly different tune. It's not the gun that pulls the trigger. It's the person holding the gun. We can't make it harder for good, solid, law-abiding citizens to protect themselves. We will always uphold the right to self-defense. So there it goes, two more mass shootings, and again, we're going to do nothing, it looks like. Lauren? As usual, because the moneyed interest that is the NRA controls our elected officials, that's obvious to everybody. Um, it, it amazes me. I, th- I thought really after Sandy Hook when nothing happened after that, that was probably it for us. Uh, but El Paso was so scary and so violent and so targeted, of course, the Mexican-Americans. You basically had a racist mass shooting, a historic, ra- uh, unfortunately historic racist mass shooting against uh, Mexican people, Latino, Latino Americans and Mexicans. And for that to happen and then us have no reaction should not be surprising, particularly after Sandy Hook. But really what this is, of course, is money in politics and the control of the NRA. I was um, out of the country uh, for the last two weeks and when this happened, and I happened to go into a restaurant the morning that uh, President Trump was off, going off to visit uh, El Paso and, and, uh, and Dayton. And the Chiron on CNN was, will Mitch McConnell bring the Senate back for a special session on guns? Pema, we've been in this town a long time. Why do people fall for that crap? <laughs> I, I, I actually feel like the, the media here, on the one hand, I think that there's sort of the simplistic, sort of almost like the reptilian response is like, so-and-so says something, I will just repeat it back to the people through the TV or the newspaper or what the podcast, uh, you know, or it's sort of like, hmm, in normal times, maybe we would call a session to like contemplate this tragedy. So like, maybe they'll do that. Maybe we should raise that point. But the Trump administration 
weaponizes that every single time. They constantly ha say, you know, Trump will say something that sounds maybe a little bit reasonable, and then everyone will broadcast that sort of without questioning it on the front pages and on the chirons and on the podcasts. And then a few days later, he just goes and says the opposite thing. And then we all sort of go, oh, well, I guess that's not going to happen. And then it happened. And then again, something ha comes up and, you know, President Trump says a little bit of what you want him to say. And so then we all broadcast that and then he walks it back again. And I'm there just has to be a better way to report on this, I think, uh, you know, to, mm -hmm. to lay out everything, you know, maybe it's every single time he says like, oh, maybe we should address gun control, lay out every other time that he's sort of promised to move forward on something and then walked it back. Um, because I just, this sort of like credulously like running after everything he says and then, you know, the Im immediate and obvious walk back later is just, uh, it's really frustrating. Uh, Joe, the majority leader uh, of the House, Steny Hoyer, uh, held a news conference this week uh, asking and calling on the Senate to, for, for McConnell to bring the Senate back. Uh, making an interesting point, I think, about where the American people are as opposed to where the leadership in Congress is. Let's listen and get your response on the other side. I've been in politics for a long time. It takes no courage to put on the Senate floor a bill that is supported by 90-plus percent of Americans. What takes courage is to look a special interest group in the eye and say enough is enough. It is time to act. Well, well the, he's standing where is correct. The public polls are overwhelmingly in favor of more restrictions on guns. What he's citing is 97%, which is an unbelievable number, support background checks. 97%. 67% support a ban on assault rifles, which, uh, you know, I think that El Paso was put back on the table. This is something we haven't seen since the Clinton years when we had a at least a temporary ban on uh, assault-style weapons. And this is, this is the some optimism that I take from this, is that you're seeing cracks in the NRA wall. You're seeing people look for something they can support, red flag laws, for example. Um, it, I think the tactic, I think you're right to be skeptical about, about this, that they're basically waiting out the outrage, letting it die down, and who's mm -hmm. going to remember this in yeah. September, right? But you, but you, you're, you're seeing the, the, the sort of the, the program being built for what you could pass next time there's a mass shooting, and there will be, and Congress is in session. Well, I'm a firm believer in the political strategy of kicking them while they're down. Um, and in terms of kicking them while they're down, isn't this the perfect time to kick the NRA? I mean, the NRA is falling apart. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they chased out Ali North. Wayne LaPierre now is uh, in disgrace and the probably going to get chased out. Scandal you know? over a $6 million mansion? Yeah. It, with all this security and everything, they're losing money. Uh, and yet, and, and I think, haven't we learned that they're not the political force? that they once were, at least people always assumed them to be. Yeah, I, I think that this issue is really interesting. I'm not going to put any money on anything happening <laughs> <No>. <laughs> at all. Smart lady. <laughs> but uh, I do see more broadly the issue changing. And I think especially if we want to talk about 2020, uh, you know, I think increasingly, you know, the Trump administration has to not 
lose the suburbs as much as Republicans have since 2016. Um, at the same time, he needs to keep his more rural base really fired up. And this is an issue where those two Republican constituencies are really drifting further and further apart. And I think that Democrats are and will continue to capitalize on that. So I think that it's a really, you know, it's a really interesting struggle for him. On the one hand, he has his base where he, he really can't do anything on this. On the other hand, uh, he really can't lose any more of the suburbs where I think people are tired of sending their kids to school and then having them die. So uh, I think that that's a quandary for the Republicans and one that Democrats are already exploiting. I do want to get into 2020, but Lauren, is this a good issue for Democrats in 2020? I think it is. I mean, we've had Democrats that have won just fine going against the NRA. Uh, I think there were over a dozen in 2018 right, exactly. who went against the NRA and that's won. Right, that's right. Uh, Tim Kaine. I mean, there's been people who have had Fs <laughs> in, in fairly, I mean, Virginia's purple, but you know, still in fairly uh, southern states. So John Yarmouth from Kentucky, congressman, wears an F on his lapel. <laughs> oh, really? Oh. F on his lapel because he's proud of the F rating of the NRA. Very nice. So I, I would say that going against the NRA is, uh, I don't know how you can be on the wrong side of I'm against more mass shootings happening and people carrying around AK-47s they don't need. I'm not sure why anybody would be bothered by that. My, my father was a lifelong member of the NRA. He's in law enforcement. He was a hunter. But most members of the NRA, of course, don't don't agree with the leadership. That's already been established. But it's a hard argument to make that people need an AK-47 or these these huge bulk loaders. It's just who who would agree with that? All right. So on the political front, the big news of the day is that uh, John Hickenlooper is out. Of course, that shakes up the entire Democratic Party. Right? <laughs> 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 uh, but the next big event is the uh, third Democratic debate. September 12 and 13. Uh, so far, nine candidates have made it. Two or three are like on the margins. If you don't make the third debate, are they out of the running? Do you think, are we, are we getting down to the, maybe winnowing the field to the big five, six, seven, or eight? What do you think? Family, you want to jump in? But, uh, yeah, I think these things are fluid at the same time. If you aren't making this debate, you probably didn't make the other debates. And yeah, if you just haven't, you know, part of it is just you got to get news. You know, I think that there are candidates, I would point to Kristen Gillibrand on this, where part of the problem is she just doesn't have the press following her around everywhere. You know, I mean, you have to sort of get to a certain level to then command more attention and to get, you know, it sort of it feeds off of itself, right? And so if you can't get into that cycle um, of commanding attention and getting coverage, which feeds more coverage and so on, um, then it's going to be really hard. So, yeah, if you're not in that debate, that's a, not a good sign. Is the uh, nominee going to... Have the name of Joe. Joe? <laughs> <laughs> I got to get my bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also have a daughter, Amy, so there's a couple of campaigns I wanted to touch into. But uh, I think this is wide open right now. I really do. I think anybody in the top five, six could, uh, could, could win this thing. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not waiting for Tom Steyer to jump in. You know, um, I don't think... But, but, but Biden could stumble. Uh, Warren could resolve people's concerns about whether she could win it burning could get hot it's still it's still early but maybe and maybe the surprise story here is you mentioned her elizabeth warren two polls out this week one from iowa showed that she's number one in iowa caucus goers among iowa caucus goers and fox news poll shows that she's now jumped over bernie she is second yes. to joe biden yeah people love um, her and elizabeth warren she's got this capacity lauren on the stump to come up with big ideas and explain them in a way that people can understand. Here she is. I want to see us 
must pass a wealth tax on the top one-tenth of one piece. Get that right? Wow. Absolutely. I That's never understood that. <laughs> <laughs> that really, I never thought about the property taxes. Well, she's absolutely right. Yeah, she's well having a teacher. But here's the thing, Lauren. <laughs> and, and the New York Times sums it up in their headline front page this morning: "Zeal for Warren tested by fear she can't win." So every time I hear somebody say how great a candidate Elizabeth Warren is, they add it. Yeah, but she's so far to the left. Yeah, she can't well, win. that's because she's female. <laughs> okay, I mean Pete Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, the big phenomenon. Nobody talks about him not being able to win. But when you're a female candidate, you get these odd headlines, right? I mean, I think, frankly, I think Warren's going to overtake Biden. I, I just have a problem with people who run multiple times and lose. There's a history of that. You know, you saw it with Mitt Romney and McCain. It's and Hillary Clinton. People who run and then lose usually lose again and again. And Biden is a gaffe machine, as we know. None of the gaffes have been anywhere as bad as any of the, quote, gaffes that we've heard from the president of the United States. But I just think Warren is a better communicator, a more exciting personality, and I think she's going to overtake him in the end. Mm. Do you buy she can't win? No, I actually completely agree with Lauren that this is a, a gendered headline. And but I don't want to just attack the times for this. I think they're reflecting something that people well, are actually no, saying. So no, I'm not attacking the headline, but absolutely. Um, I think that part of it is part of it is just how we view women in politics, and part of it is how we view women in politics after 2016, and how we view women going up against uh, President Trump and women of a particular demographic, and it's. A hurdle for Warren and for lots of other women. Um, I don't think that it's 100% irrational on the point of the, the voters to have that. And I think that, you know, whether or not it's fair, you could argue that it's not fair, um, that that's something that Warren will have to prove, just as, you know, Bernie Sanders should have to prove mm -hmm. that, you know, his policies are palatable to the general uh, population, just as, you know, other people should, you know, on some level have to prove prove that they can win and it's um it's not entirely fair but it, it's understandable one one maybe test joe would be i keep coming back to is to envision elizabeth warren and donald trump on the stage in a debate well i honestly think elizabeth warren would win that debate I mean, it's not just because she was a college debate ch champion it's because she <laughs> didn't know that <laughs> wow yes and, and a lecturer for many years obviously a teacher in college and etc it, it's because of this skill that she has and the way she she touches people she talks to people in ways that they can understand ways that they, they can relate trump has his own populist appeal in, in that way i think warren is just the the smarter communicator okay uh, there's so many even more on these issues we could talk about, uh, other issues we didn't even get to, like Hong Kong. 
but we'll save those for another podcast because before we wrap up, I want to give you a chance to um, share your favorite story of the week, something that just caught your attention and you couldn't stop thinking about. Um, ladies first, Pema. Okay, so uh, there's an article in the Washington Post about uh, how President Trump has been talking for weeks about wanting to purchase Greenland, <laughs> um, which is a mostly ice-covered nation <laughs> off of the East Coast. Um, it is part of the kingdom. Is it for sale? No. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> we're really not in the habit of buying and selling countries right now, but uh, Iceland is Sorry, Greenland is part of the um, kingdom of Denmark where Trump is visiting soon. And so he apparently has aides running around going, uh, is he serious? Should we actually try to do this? How would we even do this? How do we get the money to do this? And I just sort of, you know, there are a few people who have come to Trump's defense and say, oh, this is like a, you know, there's a lot of resources in uh, Greenland. We should really maybe should, you know, maybe this is a smart like thing that we really should be, be trying to by this country. Um, but I, I just sort of, you know, I, I think on some level there's, Trump has this uh, part of his personality, uh, for better or worse, which is if he finds out someone else has something that he doesn't have, he wants it. <laughs> and so right. I'm just sort of, I, I'm not reporting any facts here. This is just in my own head. I'm just sort of picturing someone informing Trump that he's going to Denmark and that Den that. Iceland is, sorry, well, I keep doing that. Greenland is part of, of Denmark and him going, right. I want it. <laughs> uh, I look into Donald Trump's crystal ball and I see a golf course uh, and a Trump Tower. <laughs> it's smart planning for the uh, global warming that he refuses to acknowledge. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Lauren, what struck your attention? Uh, what struck my attention? It's, I guess, not all that funny, but uh, uh, I, I, you know, I noticed that Everybody just sort of noticed in the news this week that the FBI had listed black identity extremists as being a bigger threat than white supremacy. Now, of course, the <laughs> FBI director had pointed out at a recent hearing that uh, white supremacist violence was, in fact, a, a big deal. <laughs> but uh, the, the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, Karen Bass, tweeted yesterday that, you know, isn't this a little bit absurd after we just had mm. this mass murder in El Paso that the FBI actually had put all of its attention into the so-called black identity extremists? It kind of, of course, brings us back to the days of COINTELPRO and the FBI focusing on members of the civil rights community in the late 60s. But sure. um, we're at a point now where it's a little bit scary yeah. to watch our intelligence communities be co-opted by politics yeah. in a very strange way. I think they are certainly resisting at the CIA and the FBI. But to see yeah. that sort of come back in the news was, was pretty interesting. Shades of J. Edgar Hoover. Right, exactly. And Martin Luther King. <laughs> exactly. Joe. Well, even though I've been to Greenland, so therefore <laughs> and am an expert on Greenland, <laughs> I, I was also at Woodstock 50 years ago. You were? This week. I was oh, at Woodstock. Oh, God, you yeah. hippie, you. I, we, was, you know, we went to see a concert, which we'd, we'd been to the Newport Folk Festival, and, and we're used to outdoor festivals. We thought it was going to be like that, and of course you had a half a million people, and oh in a, a phenomenon God. that has never been repeated, at least not successfully. <laughs> And so I've been following the stories about that, getting in touch with some of my friends still alive who were there. I, I particularly like the New York Times Sunday 
section on, mm. on Woodstock, oh, the PBS yeah. special. And I've been listening my way through a six CD uh, collection of live <laughs> tracks in, in, from Woodstock. Uh, my favorites, Santana, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, who I adore, Santana, who I'd never heard of, mm. became made their name by their Woodstock performance. And, of course, announcements of the rainstorms and to avoid the brown acid and how the hog farm was <laughs> going to give us breakfast in the morning. <laughs> it's, 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 so let's end on a little lighter note of, uh, of, of peace and music. Oh, wonderful. God, what an experience. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. So my favorite story is out of New York City. I didn't realize this was going on. Um, but there was a petition circulated, and actually 290,000 people signed the petition oh, yes. to rename the block of Fifth Avenue in front of Trump Tower to rename it for <laughs> former President Barack Obama. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is a great story. Which I must say, I would have signed that petition in a New York second. Um, the head of the city council, perhaps, perhaps showing some admirable admirable restraint, I must add. His name is Corey Johnson. He said, quote, I'm pretty confident, however, we can find a better way to honor the greatest president of our lifetime (laughs) than by trolling the worst president (laughs) of our lifetime. (laughs) Uh, So good for for him. Uh, Thanks to our panel. Joe, thanks so much for being here. Pamela Levy, thank you. And uh, Lauren Victoria Burke. Uh, I'm going to wrap up with a parting shot here. And I uh, hasten to add, always, the parting shot reflects my views and my opinions, not necessarily those of the panel. So for journalists, the problem covering Donald Trump is not that he never does anything newsworthy. The problem is he does so many things newsworthy, most of them bad, that it's hard reporting on all of them, and some things just get lost in the rush. Take this past week. Donald Trump intervened to... uh, get two members of Congress banned from visiting Israel. He put in new rules making it harder for legal immigrants to get a green card unless they're already self-sufficient. And he once again chickened out on taking taking on the NRA and doing anything about gun safety. All pretty bad moves in my judgment, which did get some media attention, however. But he did something else even worse, which got almost no media attention. He gutted the Endangered Species Act. Signed by Republican President Richard Nixon in 1973, this landmark law has worked. It's credited with saving, among many other endangered species, the polar bear, grizzly bear, American alligator, whooping crane, wolves, and the bald eagle. Its purpose, in the words of the Supreme Court, is, quote, to halt and reverse the trend towards species extinction, whatever the cost. Now Donald Trump wants to change that. He says we must consider the cost before we act to save any of our great American wildlife from extinction. Really? I mean, how do you put a price tag on a grizzly bear or a polar bear or a bald eagle? Of course, this isn't the first time Donald Trump has shown he doesn't care about endangered species. It started with his pulling the United States out of the Paris Climate Accords which is the greatest threat of all threats to survival of the species. Only in this case, it hits a lot closer to home. Because in this case of climate change, the endangered species is us. That's it for today, my parting shot. That's our roundtable for today. Thanks again to our panel, Pema Levy and Lauren Victoria Burke and Joe Cirincioni. Thanks to all of you for joining us. 
And remember, you can find the Bill Press Pod on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn. In other words, wherever you go for your favorite podcast, we're there. And while you're there, we ask a big favor. Please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. Please tell your friends to subscribe. And please give us a five-star rating. That's the best way to help us grow, grow, and grow every week. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again to the panel. Stay strong. And we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.